0: It is really good to be with you. Um, pray with me real, real fast. Father God, thank you. Just thank you. I mean, is there really anything else left to say but for us to approach you in gratitude right now? Thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the, your presence in this place. Father God, may we slow down as we think about what it means to participate in your gospel and in your son and it's in your son's name i pray amen when we were kids uh we would we used to travel uh to my grandparents house in houston texas and um my grandfather had this nook i guess that's what you call it like this little porch area that he had built out in the back of their tiny house and uh my grandfather would write westerns, okay? I don't know if anybody here has a fascination with westerns, but he would write western novels. Now You're probably hoping that I would tell you that my grandfather's name was like, I'm not going to pronounce his name right back, Louis L'Amour, someone like that. That's not my grandfather, all right? Uh, his name's not Tom Clancy or Clive Cussler or whoever these other famous authors are. You have never heard of any of my grandfather's novels because they were no good. All right? Uh, all of our family would tell you that he would craft these wonderful, marvelous stories about somewhat fictional characters, you know, based off, like, Billy the Kid and people that he always enjoyed as a kid and the stories that he would think about. But uh, there, when, when my grandparents passed away and we were going through the house, I remember us just going through stacks and stacks and stacks of just stuff, you know? And in this back room, there were these boxes filled with these handwritten novels that you, you really couldn't read them anyways. Um, and, I, and he loved them, right? But you, I promise you, you've never read any of them. Um, and that's okay, right? Uh, he loved to do it. Um, Matthew, on the other hand, is an extraordinary storyteller. And that's what we've been looking at this past, I don't know how long, 27 weeks or so now. Um, and he has this ability, Matthew does, to um, meticulously take images and events and words, and he weaves them together beautifully to create this mosaic or this image of who Jesus is for readers for 2,000 plus years, uh, for readers then and for listeners and readers now. But he paints this picture of who Jesus is, this this beautiful, convicting, and compelling story of the Messiah, right? So uh, it's this Jesus who stands at the center of our entire Christian story, and he's got a goal. His goal is this, to effect definitive change in the way you and I live and think, right? So when we work through or live through the gospel of Matthew, there are some expectations that he has for us. That's for us to change and think about this. So as a church, uh, we've been exploring the story of Jesus. You're gonna hear that word over and over again today. And today we've reached the conclusion of Matthew's Gospel. It's the final episode, if you will. However, you're quickly going to find out that this story does not end, right? It is still going to this day. And February 5th, I don't know how many of you were here then, we launched this um, series on Matthew. And I had the opportunity to start with Matthew chapter 1. And I hopefully convinced you, even some of you students, that these hard, crazy names to read in the genealogy are actually quite beneficial And so we plunged into Jesus' genealogy and his family lineage to find out further who he is. We find out that Jesus, that the first thing that Matthew wants to say is that this Jesus, this Jesus has a name. And his name is Emmanuel, and it means God with us. That's the first thing that Matthew wants us to know, that the creator of the universe... Wrap your minds, or at least maybe we should attempt to wrap our minds around this. The creator of the universe is present with us in human flesh in Jesus. And so something new is happening uh, by the birth of Jesus, by him coming here. And so throughout the story that we continue to read, Jesus is continuing to invite people to follow him. He's continuing to invite people on the journey with him. And it seems like even for us readers of the gospel that he's inviting us. He's asking us to follow. He's asking us to become or to consider becoming disciples or followers of Jesus. And then one of the things we learn after like looking at different people's lives. And maybe even your own at this point as you look on it. Nothing is ever the same once you begin following Jesus. There is no more normal. Right? Based on maybe what you thought was normal. There is no more normal based on your following Jesus. And in this new job description that you and I have. You and I are to witness to the world what it looks like to live like Jesus. Okay? So check this out. If that's the case, Matthew is not only Scripture, right? It's Scripture. It's something that we read. It's something that we do gather information from. I don't know how this is going to rest on you, but it's not just Scripture. It's also a script. Therefore, you and I are supposed to perform the script. And so it's scripture, but it's calling us into something more, something deeper. And we follow the script. And pretty soon you and I are going to learn or to see how to see and live in this world under the lordship of Jesus into a new reality. Okay? So there's there's us. There is whoever that means, me or you, whoever's listening. It means that we have an opportunity to become disciples. Right? We have a choice to make, and we'll hear more about that in this, but um, there's, other, there's another component to this. right? And so if you and I are going to be involved in disciple-making, it is really essential that you and I know and believe who Jesus actually is. His identity matters maybe more than we could possibly imagine, which is what I tried to make clear on February 5th, because what we believe about Jesus Determines the kind of disciples that we become. So what we believe about him matters. And if you and I desire to follow Jesus. uh, Or if we desire for others to follow Jesus that is. um, If we desire for others. If you have a heart for others. And you desire for them to experience the change. That you have experienced or are experiencing. And you want people to experience that. um, If you and I desire to be committed, and want others to be committed to Jesus and his mission, then we've got to have some clarity. So you and I must understand that discipleship, first and foremost, is not a formula. Okay? It's a story. It's a storyline that you and I live into, and by you and I following the script, if you would, you and I, quite frankly... We do use words, but hypothetically, maybe you would never have to use words because your life and my life, the life of the Hendersonville Church, would retell the story of Jesus over and over and over again in the way that we function. Does that make sense? It's who we are. His identity becomes our identity, and there's a point when we end and he begins within us as we continue to take him on more and more in our human flesh. We retell the story. So now what? Right? It's a question we like to ask. You and I get to embrace discipleship in a present tense, which is now, which has been the title of our entire sermon series this whole time. That is, as you and I go about our lives, we intersect with others. So it's not something in the future. It's now. It's happening as we speak. So go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28 if you're not there already. Tom, where are you? Thank you, man just for reading and just for reading with such enthusiasm i would buy I, I almost said a cd sorry students i didn't say cassette tape but i almost like you don't even use cd's anymore right i mean do you even have a okay great um a podcast or something digital tom where tom read through the bible i think i would love it so maybe you can work on that tom it'd be great stuff um matthew concludes his gospel in matthew 28 by inviting listeners to participate in a resurrection story, okay? And um, so his audience then, and us, his audience now, we have a choice to make. Um, will we, just a series of questions, will we participate in the story of Jesus? Will we choose to follow him? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this one twice, if you will. Uh, will we walk with the Jesus who assures us that he will be with us always? Okay, did you hear that? Will we make a decision to walk with Jesus who has made this claim that he is going to be with us always? And so here's the thing. Whatever your response is to that question, whatever my response is, the Gospel of Matthew is asking us and inviting us to orient our entire life around Jesus and his kingdom. It's kind of a big deal, orienting our entire life. And so what you're going to see, if you haven't already, is that, Matthew's going to introduce us to a couple of different storylines in Matthew 28. I wanted Tom, but you're actually going to get the entire chapter as, we, as we're here this morning. Um, Tom read chapter 28 verses one, uh, one chapters one through, uh, verses 1 through 10, and it begins with this resurrection story. Right, That's what Tom read about, um, and it changes everything that we know. You're also going to hear in just a few minutes about another competing storyline that gets brought into the picture. But let me just a brief recap again. You've got the two Marys. They're on their way to the tomb. And the, by the other gospels, we know this. They've got spices with them. Matthew doesn't tell us that. But they're coming to anoint Jesus' dead body. Right? There's, there's no one at the tomb. I don't know if we think about this often, but there's no, none of the disciples. There is no one waiting at the tomb for the resurrection. I don't, know if they even, I, don't, I don't know if they have the ability to wrap their minds around it, right? There's no one there. There are guards there, which we'll hear about in a few minutes. But Mary, the Marys are on their way to anoint the body of Jesus. And they're interrupted, Tom. I love what you did there. There's an earthquake. There's, there's, everything is unsettling in that text, which you read it so beautifully. Everything is unsettling. The guards are freaked out. Uh, the angel tells the Marys to get out of here. His body's not here. And on their way to go tell the disciples, Jesus pops up and says, hey. Right? So now they have visible proof that Jesus is not in the tomb. And he says, hey, don't be afraid. The second time he says it, don't be afraid. Go to Galilee. Matter of fact, for Matthew, he's saying, go back to where it all began. Go back where this story started back in Galilee and tell your brothers that I am not here, that I have been, that I'm risen. And then you get to Matthew 28. Um, I think I had a couple slides there. Sorry about that. Uh, Matthew 28. Look at the Look at this middle section here. I don't know how often you've looked at this. I'm going to read this word for word. Um, this is Matthew 28, 11 through 15. And here you've got the resurrection story, but now you have a competing narrative that pops in to this uh, story. I meant to call some of my people in here, my friends in here who are published authors. Blake, you worked in publishing for a while. Um, maybe I should have called you first. Um, so how many of you, you probably have a TV show that you watch or movies that you've seen, and you've seen actors break the fourth wall, right? Where they'll speak to the audience. Do they call it the same thing in a book when an author breaks the fourth wall? I don't know what it's called. Maybe somebody here can tell me later. It seems like that's what Matthew does here. Check this out. While they were going, and so the the Marys are rushing away to go tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. The guards who were there guarding the tomb, they're in trouble. Right? Because the person that they were guarding is gone. Has just vanished. And so now they've got to go back to the city and tell people what's happened. And so this is happening, I guess, simultaneously. The women are going to tell the disciples and the guards are going to go fess up. Here we go. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taking counsel, they gave a, a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, a bribe, right? They gave a bribe, a significant sum of money, sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were told. This little bitty sentence. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. You have a resurrection story. And then you have a competing narrative where they say, we can't let this get out because it'll be bigger than it was before. So just tell people that it's all a big facade. And Matthew says then, that story was still circulating years later, and that story is still circulating now. Matthew 28, an invitation to participate. I love this. There's an invitation before us. And you and I have the opportunity to either accept or reject it. So we can accept the resurrection narrative or we can reject it. That's, that's on us to decide as people. Um, but this beautiful text that we're going to read here at the end, I, I wish that we could hear Jesus' tone. I wish that we could hear just the conversation that was taking place as Jesus was risen and talking to them and saying things like, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and that's what I'm sending you out with. So if you can imagine those words. One of my favorite authors, um, says this within a conversation about Jesus and Matthew. He says, The final words of any character in a novel are almost always their most important words. And, Tadego, maybe maybe these are the words that you would remember because it's the last words, right? You may not remember everything Jesus said in the first 27 chapters, but we've got to the end of this thing, and it seems like usually... Sometimes the character's last words are things that we remember. So check this out. Um, Jesus' words in this closing chapter are perfect and reassuring. And they express the deepest desires of his father. Um, Jesus' words fulfill his incarnation and his name. He began in Matthew chapter 1 by saying, this is Emmanuel, God with us. And here at the end, it's, it's, it's come to fruition. I am God with you the same desire that led to his birth in human form, all right, but also um, the same desire that sustained him on the cross and the same desire that empowered his resurrection. I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else. It is this, he has a desire to be with you. Wrap your minds around that for a second because I know sometimes if you're like me and you're a human, you sometimes wrestle with self-worth and value. And sometimes we think, man, why would anybody want to be with me because of the way that I am. The creator of the universe has a desire to be with you and to be with me, to be with us. And so there's these two narratives, and we've got a choice to make. Both narratives stake claim on life. One leads to life and one leads to death. Um, Both narratives actually require or maybe even invite alignment or orientation to a certain storyline. Both narratives have a cadence. They have a rhythm to them. But only one of these stories stands up against and over the false reality. And here's the other reality. Um, Whether you want to articulate it like this or not, you as an individual, me as an individual, and this church body as a church— We are living into a story as we speak. There is a cadence that you and I are in. There is a rhythm that you and I are in. We are participating in something, whether you call it that or not. So the questions are these. Is the story that you're living connecting you closer to Jesus and bringing you closer into the kingdom participation? Or is the story that you're living right now Disconnecting you and pulling you further away from who Jesus is and his kingdom. So, living into this story means that you and I are on a journey with Jesus. We're walking with Jesus. So, what's it look like to do so? What's it look like to walk with Jesus? Uh, What's it look like to faithfully walk with Jesus? What's it look like to steadily walk with Jesus? What's it look like to live in close, intimate relationship with Jesus, to spend life in fellowship with Jesus in such a way that it forms us deeply in everything that we say and do? This is what we're going to end up. today. Here's my working definition of what I think this means. Walking with Jesus means intentionally cultivating a direct and continuous relationship with Jesus that's formed over time and mutually experienced. You hear the last part? The joy that you get in walking with Jesus is mutually experienced. And when you are walking with Jesus, Jesus enjoys being with you. And if you haven't thought about that lately, I kind of think it might change your whole trajectory on life. That Jesus enjoys being with you. He wants to be with you. And so here's what I'm going to do. Here's some personal reflections that I have made as we've come through the entire gospel of Matthew. And when I think back about looking back over the Matthew as a whole, these are some things that I think are just some implications, if you will, that I think are are helpful. So number one, as you and I consider discipleship uh, as individuals or even as a church, as you and I consider discipleship, um, I think that walking with Jesus implies that you and I are on a path. A sacred path, right? If, if Jesus really is God in human form, then when Jesus is with us, that is sacred territory. Right? So wrap your mind around that. Wherever you are going with Jesus is sacred space. And so we're on this path. And so even think about Matthew chapter four as Jesus is walking on the Sea of Galilee and he calls his first disciples. He says, follow me. And they agreed to join him on this path. They didn't even know where they were going. But the text says that they immediately followed him in that moment. So there was a sense of urgency and they took a risk to follow him. But there was a willingness and a desire to follow Jesus on an adventure. And if you just pause for a moment, you might even reflect on your own journey at this point with Jesus as being quite adventurous. Maybe you don't, but think about the adventures that you have been on with him and the adventure that he's on now. Um, But when we follow him, we're allowing Jesus to guide us along this path. I don't know that it necessarily means a geographic location for you, that maybe sometimes we are going somewhere with Jesus like his disciples did. But maybe more than not, it means that Jesus is with you in the seasons of life as you are walking into things or you are walking out of things. That Jesus is still with us. And so Matthew 1 and Matthew 28 both imply that Jesus is with us on this path and you and I are not alone. And no matter what you're walking through today or right now in this season of your life, you have not been abandoned by Jesus. Perhaps it maybe applies more than anything that you and I are on a path of becoming something that God intended us to be all along. So maybe this path... um, Maybe it means more something like growth and maturity than it means any kind of specific destination. So here's a question for you. Maybe today, the Holy Spirit is inviting you and me to really pause and locate ourselves on this path. Like, where are you on this journey with Jesus? Where's the Hendersonville Church on the journey with Jesus? next thing I think it implies is that there's a pulse. Being in relationship with Jesus, being on a path, there's a pulse. There's a sacred pulse. So what's it look like for our hearts to beat in rhythm with Jesus's heart? For our hearts to beat together for the same things, for our hearts to beat together for the same people, Jesus's heart beat for the poor and the marginalized and for the oppressed, so we have to ask questions about who is our heart beating for. And then you get to Matthew's chapter 5 and 7, and he provides a variety of glimpses of what it might look like for our hearts to be in sync. He'll say things like, you've heard it said, murder is, you know, bad, but I'm telling you that even if you have anger in your heart towards somebody else, it's going to provoke judgment. You've heard it said that um, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you that you should love your enemy and pr- pray for those who persecute you. Be generous. Pray. Fast. Don't be anxious just to name a few. He calls us to more, and he calls us into shared intimacy with him. So um, as apprentices or disciples of Jesus, it implies that you and I are learning his pulse. We're learning his rhythm. Um, It implies that we are being in sync with Jesus or in step with him and his mission. Okay? And so we're longing for a wholeness. And so maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit is putting on you today to check your pulse. Maybe there's an invitation for us as a church to really check our pulse and ask us, does our church heart really beat for the people in our community? It's a real question to ask. It can be an uncomfortable question to ask. Do our hearts as individuals really beat for the people that Jesus' heart beat for? So maybe checking our pulse is a part of this conversation. The third thing I think about is that there is a sacred pace to this journey. And it's Jesus who sets this pace. And so I think that being on a journey with Jesus implies a movement, dynamic movement. It certainly doesn't... um, describe some kind of stale or static state, which, by the way, is not the same thing as being still before the Lord. But as we've explored Matthew, I love this. Did you ever you ever notice how Jesus is never in a hurry to get anywhere? Think about how much hurry you may have just exposed yourself to or experienced just trying to get to the building this morning, if you have little kids especially, right? You probably don't even know how you got here. Probably as as you here watching their grandkids this week. I guarantee you, they're like, "How did we get here today?" Right? We don't remember how we got here today. But Jesus is never in a hurry; he's never in a rush. And I think that same way of being is the way that people encountered him. He was always intentional. It seems that he modeled a way of life that was eliminating hurry and distraction. And so we know that from other gospels, like Mark, that he encouraged his disciples to pause. And so Jesus's pace of life made him accessible and available, and approachable, and attentive, and aware of others and their circumstances, right? And so it's a pace that invites us to be attentive and aware of God's activity in our life. So maybe the Holy Spirit, if you didn't like the first two invitations, maybe the Holy Spirit is nudging you and asking you, hey, what might it look like for you to slow down? Because you cannot sustain the speed of life at which you were living, nor were you designed to. Finally, I think that there's a sacred posture. I love this. I think that walking with Jesus requires a manner of walking. I uh, Paul would call it a manner worthy of the call in Ephesians 4. But there's a way that Jesus carried himself. And I don't mean that you go home and put on a brace to put your shoulders back and have great posture today. But Jesus carried himself in such a way with people that they experienced him in a way that's unique. And we see that all throughout the book of Matthew. His posture, you'll recognize this from another text, his posture that did or said nothing from a selfish ambition or vain conceit. This posture, even when he was encountering those who were belligerent and violent to him, was one of humility. And really, you can define this posture as humility. It's not weakness, it's confidence, right? But he was open and he emptied himself, he poured himself out, he was the model servant. And everybody who interacted with Jesus, I'm confident, they interacted with this kind of posture. It is the foundation of what it means to be focused on other people, is our humility towards others. It allowed Jesus to meet people where they were. Captured by this text, Micah 6 eight, he's told you, O oh man, and what is good... What does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And I would say this about that. It's not occasional and it's not optional. In fact, it implies a posture of faithful regularity and consistency and steadiness over time. So maybe the last question for you today is maybe the Holy Spirit is inviting you or me or our church body to examine our posture. What would it look like to examine our posture? So let's walk. This walk with Jesus invites us to center every aspect of ourselves, our entire life, and live from that or this sacred place with Jesus. It's time for Jesus to leave, if you will. But before he departs, he invites us provides encouragement for this walk. This is the end of Matthew chapter 28. Remember these words. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Invite them into the story, right? Baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And if you and I are with him in this journey, the journey that you and I are on is empowered by Jesus and this power. You are not alone. You have not been abandoned. And maybe that's what I would love for you to remember more than anything as we stand and stand together this morning.